the Face Off Podcast, a podcast where the movies of John Travolta face off with the movies of Nicolas Cage until we watch the movie Face Off. I'm Erin Hennessy. And I'm Jess McBride, and we will be your guides this week along the journey through the fictions of Travolta and the adaptations of Cage. This is our sixth episode, and it's all about complex, highbrow storylines sprinkled with crime and existential angst. Mmm. Uh, seriously, for real. Jess, why don't you tell us a little bit about Pulp Fiction? Well, Aaron, Pulp Fiction. This is one of his most well-known movies, I would say. Um, Pulp Fiction uh, was released in 1994. It was directed by Quentin Tarantino. Co-stars included Samuel L. Jackson and Uma Thurman. I would say, I mean, even, is he the star? The one star? Isn't, I mean, is Samuel Jackson the star? I don't know. Anyway. I I would say yes. After watching it this time, I felt like he was the star. It's it's a, yeah, like there doesn't seem to be one star. Although Samuel Jackson definitely has like the best speeches. So. He totally does. He's amazing. He's the star. Anyway, Pulp Fiction was probably one of the only John Travolta films I had seen before this was like the classic i watched this in college you know if this is like the you have to see it in order to be considered um a cultured person um you know you read in jane austen does she does she sing does she sew does she paint does she watch fiction yeah (laughs) in in our day and age it's like have you seen is she any really cool yeah, like or does does she just watch chick flicks? Like yeah, um, so your dowry sort of is dependent on that. On, did on did your Josh check them. up on that before you got married? Was he like? Listen, Josh have you didn't seen check Pulp up on anything. <laughs> or if he did, nothing really mattered. <laughs> I was incredibly cultured by the time I met him. This is a real creative film. And I think that's why it's, you know, this is not your typical, you know, shoot him up, he gets the girl, and then it ends happily or slightly unhappily. This um, this is working with sort of a, how would you call this, um, a crooked timeline? A timeline sure, that doesn't yeah. go in order? A, non, a mm-hmm. non-chronological? A non-linear. Thank you. A non-linear timeline. Uh, you've got two, the, the movie opens and really closes with two friends and colleagues. (laughs) And lovers. Uh, oh, you're right. Oh, I wasn't even talking about them, but that you, but you were talking about the robbers. Okay. No, they're the first. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I was talking about Samuel Samuel Jackson and John Travolta who play, two characters that I can look up right now. But anyway, um, they're kind of two uh, hitmen, would you say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Practical they are. 100%. problem solvers. And, um, you know, it kind of opens on them needing to, like, put the heat on some young gentlemen. And, and one of them had just returned from Amsterdam, I believe, and he was kind of talking or recounting his experiences there. And they, they always have these, like, 
philosophical but also jarring conversations like it's about like drug use and like the like their philosophical thoughts on the people that do drugs and then it's like on like uh, I mean the second conversation before they go shoot all those boys is like about (laughs) foot massages oh yeah well kind of this no I mean I really appreciate this it's they're sort of hashing out this moral compass right of like this person gave a foot massage to to this thug's wife and and he killed him for it and John Travolta is like saying that's not appropriate you know like it's just a foot massage but Samuel Jackson Jules uh points out like no you wouldn't you wouldn't massage a, a dude's feet like there's something intimate and and sexual about that and he kind of understands like he's on the same page with Marce- Marcellus. Marcellus he's on Marcellus's he they have a compatible moral compass whereas John maybe hasn't even or his name is Vincent in the movie the character Vincent really had maybe hasn't experienced a foot massage I don't know and look just because I wouldn't get no man a foot massage, don't make it right for myself to throw Antoine off a building into a glass motherfucking house fucking up the way the nigga talks. That shit ain't right. Motherfucker do that shit to me. He better paralyze my ass because I kill a motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? I ain't saying it's right, but you saying a foot massage don't mean nothing. I'm saying it does. Now, look, I've given a million ladies a million foot massages, and they all meant something. We act like they don't, but they do. I mean, that's what's so fucking cool about them. There's a sensuous thing going on where... Where, you know, you don't talk about it, but you know it, she knows it. Fucking Marcellus knew it. And Antoine should have fucking better known better. I mean, that's his fucking wife, man. They think they have no sense of humor about this shit. You know what I'm saying? It's an interesting point. Come on. I would argue that Travolta's character is constantly questioning what like he's I I see the kind of the main theme is being loyalty like he's or or righteousness or whatever like he's constantly questioning what he has to do to be righteous right Mm -hmm. or he's like 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 this doesn't seem right is it right I don't know like he's always talking he's always talking to Samuel Jackson about it and trying to decide how he feels about it almost and he's he seems really uncomfortable and uncertain about how to interact with Mia because if he interacts with her in the wrong way, he will die. Like he will perish and he doesn't want. Yes. Mia, the wife. Yeah. And so he's, he's kind of like fearful, fearful of judgment, but I I don't know if he really understands what it means to be righteous or what it means to just do good things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like, um, Jules, seems like a he has like a firmer foundation about maybe he has like the belief characteristic where he like knows what the right thing is to do yeah I think he you know I found him really interesting he kind of brings along the kid um Marvin (laughs) like he invites one of one of these this male group that they they kind of like shoot up a bunch of other members of this group but then they invite Marvin to come and I'm curious if he was like, oh yeah, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna like train Marvin. I didn't really understand what that was about, but he brings Marvin in to the car, and then 
uh, Vincent accidentally shoots him. Of course, Vincent. It's so funny. I know. It's It's so crazy. Which puts them on this other problem-solving thing of, like, now we have to clean up Marvin. And again, he... and, And Travolta is not willing to, like, own up to his part of what he did. Like, he shoots this man, and he needs to take care of this thing so they don't get in trouble mm-hmm. or go to prison and the whole time he's belly aching about it yeah. which i think is actually like if you think about that on, in a biblical way like there were so many people that were like following jesus or whatever or doing what they were supposed to but like grumbling about it um and you see somebody like samuel jackson's character um who is just like he actually says at one point in the story he says like um I'm trying to be the shepherd. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. Truth is, you're the weak, and I am the tyranny of evil men. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. He's, like, trying to stay on a moral path and kind of support, even in his, like, violent way still support the the cause of like overarching goodness yeah I think that Vincent is a little bit more like oh I find myself in this situation what is you know what do I have to do and it's I mean sometimes he does the right thing right like he he gets a whole bunch of cocaine but then (laughs) when Mia snorts it and is dying or is dead like he he figures out how to make it right and then kind of has to confront the fact that he has to stab her with this big needle to like give her the antidote travolta does say kind of a really interesting line that i think most of the movie pivots around like and going back to that idea of loyalty when he's in the bathroom and he's kind of like trying to decide how he's going to interact with Mia like she's she's inviting him in for a drink and you can tell like I feel like there is some sexual tension there or this desire on his part he's kind of attracted to her and he's like she's off limits and when he's in the bathroom he says this is a moral test of oneself whether or not Mm -hmm. you can maintain loyalty (laughs) because being loyal is very important so he knows it's important but he doesn't always know like he's he's still begrudging or doesn't quite know how to how to be loyal in the same way that um you you see Jules or you see um, uh, Butch. Um, well, here's the thing about Butch that I think is really interesting, that side story. Because Butch is incredibly loyal to the memory of his father, oh, yeah. right? And that trumps um, his own life, really. He double crosses Marcellus and wins this fight even though he's supposed to lose it. He's supposed to leave town and then he is willing to go back to his apartment um, in order to get this thing that was so important to him and to his family. And so he shows this, he exhibits this loyalty, which is super crazy, right? He's going back for a watch. And then I think it's really interesting that he has that crossover with Travolta because Travolta, oh my gosh, he goes to the bathroom so much in this movie. Um, He goes to the bathroom (laughs) at least three times, right? And one time... Two times they're, they're like, major, like, um, 
interactions with other characters, right? Or overlaps. And one of them results in his death with Butch. But then, I don't know where I was going with that, except I think that that side story is really interesting because then Butch, he kind of, if you think about this also in like a biblical parable or something, he kind of like squanders his wealth or like the thing he's been promised. But then he does gain back the favor of Marcellus because basically because he does he saves him from a much worse situation <laughs> like this really awful disgusting torture. situation in a yeah. torture in a basement you know that um, is a very, I don't know yeah no I mean it's so interesting the choice of the title of Pulp Fiction and that you know the title cards reference like old you know Pulp Fiction book chapter titles and that old font but I I mean and maybe there are even more references that I don't know about yet you know beyond Scarface Mm -hmm. and sort of general I don't know action movies but it's sort of interesting like why you know why say why entitle it Pulp Fiction which is this which is a genre Right? It's like mm-hmm. entitling a movie like Westerns or something. Um, it's not necessarily... I didn't feel like that the story was like, oh, this is meaningless and... Or even even melodramatic, which is something I associate with Pulp Fictions is like the emotions are like overwrought and it's like an overly obvious plot and stuff like that which I didn't feel like this movie was the opening shot with the definition of pulp because that that is at the beginning of the movie correct I'm not making Mm -hmm. that up okay Mm -hmm. yeah so that opening so soft moist shapeless mass of matter and then a magazine or book containing lurid subject matter and being characteristically printed on rough unfinished paper I I mean in choosing to have the definition of pulp, like the first definition, I almost feel like it is like indicating that it can mean everything or nothing. Like mm. in the sense of there's so much story in this in this thing. It's kind of like this shapeless mass of matter. Like it's kind of ridiculous. And especially if you're somebody going into it not really looking for strong themes. Like when I was watching it initially, because I'd only seen it on TV um, like the the heavily edited versions really is all I'd watched for some reason or another. And so I was watching it like madly trying to like grasp and figure out what was going on as I was watching it. And it did feel kind of like shapeless. But then I I like that there's also that second definition of like, you know, this Pulp Fiction, because I think also that is kind of referencing how unfinished the story is or how, you know, there are some some obvious themes that come through, but it is this story that is very lurid and rough and unfinished and kind of kind of like a weaving story that doesn't follow this normal timeline and you're just like piecing things together. Just to put a tiny um, random bow on, on Pulp Fiction. Yeah. This is where he identifies that they call the Big Mac uh, or the Quarter yeah. Pounder with Cheese a Royale in Paris. And so I we, know, and we get that direct reference in from Paris with Love, which is now looking back on that, so funny and ridiculous that like they're like, "Hey, guess what? <laughs> like, remember that movie you did or I did or whatever? Whoever suggested it? Like, let's put that yeah, in here. Yeah, remember Pulp Fiction? Paris. That's so cool. 
Um, Let's, what if I just made that reference again since we're in, we're in Paris? It would be here. like really. It could so be. Silly. I wonder if it's the first uh, movie he did set in Paris. That's it. Hi, listeners. We know you like a good cult classic, but have you considered Cult Class Pass? This is the hottest new app for your personal cult participation routine. There are literally thousands of cults out there. How do you choose which one to follow? Why not have access to all of them with Cult Class Pass? Drum in a circle on Monday, wear a burlap sack on Wednesday, and save your blood sacrifices for the weekend. This app helps you find the latest cult groups in your area, so you never have to miss out on your favorite rites and rituals, whether you're on the road, in a random forest, or right in your own neighborhood. Chat live with charismatic leaders who can show you the way to enlightenment or subjugation. It's easy to join. Just download the app, liquidate your assets, and send the proceeds in cash with a pint of blood to the unique address on the login screen. Use the code FACEOFF and you'll receive 20% more of whatever you like best in the afterlife. Let's pivot to adaptation. Adaptation. Oh, geez. Um, so Adaptation came out in, I believe it was 2002, directed by Spike Jones. Some of the co-stars of Nicolas Cage were Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper. The budget for the movie was $19 million. The box office, um, in the box office, rather, it made $32.8 million. And um, this movie... This movie made me feel a lot. Like, Pulp Fiction made me feel a lot, too, for sure. These both are amazing narratives and very interesting and different and quirky. So it was, like, fun. It was fun to have that, like, that matchup because this movie, well, it was also very confusing. Um, One of my favorite movies, this is a side note, is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I did not realize was also written by Charlie Kaufman. So... I was really fascinated by that. Like, as I was watching this movie, and then I was watching, uh, or and I was thinking about Eternal Sunshine, I was like, wow, he writes really vivid screenplays, like, and really powerful, interesting screenplays. And to have someone like Spike Jones or someone like uh, Michelle Gondry with, with uh, Eternal Sunshine direct that story or tell that story, it's just masterful. It's beautiful mm-hmm. to watch. And basically... My understanding is that this screenplay came about as Charlie Kaufman in real life was attempting to write this movie uh, or turn convert this or turn the movie. And now I don't know what the Orkin book. movie was. It the or the, sorry the book he was adapting this book into a movie for real for real and he couldn't do it and he kind of just like caved in upon himself and you see that in the process like it's really about this writer Nicholas Cage who is. Uh, struggling to tell this story and he is obsessed with this book about these orchids that Meryl Streep's character Susan Orlean had written Um, she'd originally written an article about this man who would basically pick these orchids and uh, which is illegal yeah we're gonna assume that's like an illegal activity he was getting these native these natives um, in the area to basically help him and pick the flowers and take them back. And they were like harvesting them so he couldn't be taken to court or get in trouble for this act. And 
we kind of see through this story, you know, we see Charlie Kaufman. First of all, he's incredibly insecure. He's full of self-loathing. The story itself takes place, which Charlie Kaufman also wrote, being John Malkovich. There we go. Uh, he wrote the screenplay for being John Malkovich, which is also a total trip to watch. I haven't watched it in a while. But the movie kind of, this movie adaptation takes place as he's on set of being John Malkovich. And yeah, he's As he's Nicolas Cage, insecure. right? Like we see uh, yes. Nicolas Cage on the set with, with John Malkovich. Yeah, and and so he's he's I love the opening monologue. It's amazing. It's basically him just hating himself and talking about mm-hmm. how much he hates himself and how ugly he is and blah blah blah, all these things. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. And we see him later on interacting with his twin, which Charlie Kaufman actually credits his twin Donald Kaufman who does not exist, by the way. I, I know, extensively I think a, looked into a that. Whole... Like Wikipedia page on the brother. That's yeah, like, oh, which as if he was nuts. a real person. <laughs> but I love that because, yeah, his the the character. So Cage also plays Donald, and they, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, not Freaky Friday. It's kind of like a. Why why do I have no words now? It's um, Parent Trap. Oh, parent trap. So it's you know it's like a parent trap thing, but with with uh, Nicholas Cage, <laughs> and and so for as like you did it. Oh, no, I mean I, 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 I I've obviously whole seen time. that, but I just like <laughs> I just, I don't know. It's just a delight. I I I just think about that a lot when they when they film two two a- or one actor as twins because I'm like this must be so fascinating to film because they yeah. basically film it twice and they just have like a stand in I think and then they put put this this like each half together or something i don't know i anyway, forgot I'm not... that he had a brother in the movie i i also saw this in college as i was building up my cultural repertoire of course and i couldn't so i couldn't remember if the brother was real like i kind of assumed that it was himself that he yeah. was like just talking to like as if someone's talking to themselves at home trying to work through mm-hmm. their creative issues but it is hilarious that it's a twin it is brother. a real twin um, yeah be, because you do kind of the whole time because he is so strange like both of them are strange mm-hmm. but donald is particularly strange because he is like this this exact opposite of charlie like he represents this confident part of this person that is like inquiring and unafraid and like keeps asking him about like oh like do you think you could pitch my screenplay to your to your agent yeah he sort of starts he like falls ass backwards into writing a, a screenplay you know goes to the goes to sort of a seminar of a famous yep. screenwriter which charlie kaufman's you know it thinks is the you know most cliche thing and totally useless but he like the brother gains a lot of confidence from this seminar and a lot of tips that he like posts all over the house and then he kind of quickly writes a screenplay that the agent really loves and is like this yep. is the best screenplay that like successfully this, like really sold. dumb screenplay <laughs> the, the three um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I that's why it was it just almost seemed like oh this seems like what an alter ego would be, you know, would be the, all the things that you hate and also kind of want to be and are like, 
you know, like, it kind of as you think of yourself, sometimes you're like, I think I'm the person that, like, has already finished the project I'm working on. And so me being separate from that ideal me is a failure. <laughs> you know, I'm just trying to do something. Hey, thanks a lot, buddy. Cool. Okay, there's a serial killer, right? Well, no, wait. And he's being hunted by a cop, and he's taunting the cop, right? Sending clues who his next victim is. He's already holding her hostage in his creepy basement. So the cop gets obsessed with figuring out her identity and in the process falls in love with her, even though he's never even met her. She becomes like, like, like the unattainable, like, like the Holy Grail. It's a little obvious, don't you think? Okay, but here's the twist. We find out that, that the killer- He like is con you know, he misses his opportunity with this girl he likes. He like doesn't have the courage to ask her. And then we see this series of situations where he's like, with these women in his life or these women he interacts with and you think he's like actually you know having sex with them or going on a date with them but he's really not so there's there's a lot of oscillation or movement between what is real and what isn't and also a really complex thing about the story is it's going in and out of this story with Meryl Streep's character and Donald or not Donald um Chris Cooper's character because the orchid story is about Meryl Streep well, it's, it's her interactions with this man who's harvesting these orchids or like searching for them and selling them and doing all these things with these orchids. And so she initially writes this article and then goes on to write this book and has this alleged affair with this, this strange man from, he's in Florida, I think, and he has no teeth, no front teeth. Um, but she falls in love with him because he's passionate. Like she really wants to she expresses at some point that she wants to be passionate about things or something. And she's really attracted to his passion, I think. I want, or she says at one point, I want to know what it feels like to care about something passionately. And I think at some point in the story, Don, or I keep getting Donald and Charlie mixed up. Charlie identifies that that's also what he wants. But then he starts getting very muddled and confused and the story starts collapsing in on itself. Like he, he starts kind of becoming obsessed with Meryl Streep's character and thinks that maybe he he loves her and like maybe maybe his screenplay actually doesn't need to be about the orchids or John LaRoche it needs to be about this woman but then he's like no it's actually about me i'm going to write the screenplay about me and it becomes he just like folds <laughs> in on himself yeah. which is crazy yeah. it gets so trippy and then he ends up um, meeting her, even though he's, like, very fearful of that, like, meeting this woman that he's writing about, he, well, actually, no, Donald goes to meet her, because he doesn't have the courage, and then, <laughs> oh, it's so crazy, they basically, like, chase, I mean, he goes, he goes down, he gets caught, fall, or, like, sneaking onto the property of LaRoche, who's, who is having this affair with Susan, and then Susan, who's high on this this drug that is extracted from this orchid, is like, I'm going to kill him and ends up killing Donald, which is so interesting, too, because it's like this symbol of actually this death of, I mean, it's this alter ego's death, right? But then in that, he becomes very confident. <laughs> like, he's like, he gets out of this situation or whatever. And at the end of the movie, he says, for the first time, 
uh, I'm filled with hope. I like this. This is good. And it's just like sunny and happy and everything's fine. I can't remember. If there, I feel like there's more conclusion there. He like it grieves the loss of Donald. No, I mean, I, it definitely ends hopefully somehow. Yeah. Like somehow I, it I manages to. Yeah. It, it's, it's not entirely clear why. I think it's, it's his character changes and becomes more. Becomes I think it's when hopeful, he. But. He sees the girl that he had been kind of seeing at the beginning, and he just doesn't he just That's like right. kiss her he kisses without her. permission. <laughs> hey, we're, yeah. we're still doing that in two thousand two. No uh, consent. No, he does. He he goes for it. He kisses her. She's like, I, you know, and tells her that he loves her. And I think you know, kind of based on what his brother says in the swamp, it's like the whether or not she can be with you and loves you is not. In your control. Mm-hmm. You know. You are you, what you love, you not what loves you. you. Love and, and he sort of steps into who he is, which is someone who loves her. And I think that's the thing that brings the story. Brings him peace. Back around. And brings him peace. Yeah. And. Yeah. It's like a really intense movie. It's really beautifully done. Like, I love anything by Spike Jones. I think he has a really creative perspective some of the footage is really interesting like at the beginning of hollywood california um i think i think cage was awesome like there's a lot i really enjoyed about it i thought it was really lovely i i found his his like diffident protagonist very believable like there's not all i mean that's kind of they kind of talk about this in the play in the sorry in the in the movie is like He's like, what if I want to make a movie about sort of a thing that like, and nothing happens and, and the, you know, the, the famous screenwriter gets upset and is like, that's not a movie, bug, like stop wasting my time. And in the same way, like we don't often make movies about people like protagonists who are not heroes or who don't like become heroes very quickly in the movie. Right. And have this transformation um, and he's this, you know, he's not someone that you want to be at all. You know, he's, he's not good with women. He's, he doesn't look amazing. You know, he carries himself. You can even see the way he carries himself with Donald versus Charlie. Like he's, he hunches, he hunches his shoulders when he's Charlie, you know, and it's painful. Like he, <laughs> I actually watched some interviews with Nicolas Cage and he's like, it's painful to even just watch himself play this character who's like so painfully awkward and my leg hurts i wonder if it's cancer there's a bump i'm starting to sweat stop sweating i've got to stop sweating can she see it dripping down my forehead oh she looked at my hairline she thinks i'm bald you think you're great oh wow thanks that's that's nice to hear we all just love the malkovich script thanks such a unique voice boy i'd love to find a a portal into your brain. <laughs> Trust me, it's no fun. <laughs> let's do our objective finally speaking. Yeah, let's we sort of have talked about. Men. Yeah, we've talked a about bit. Cage a, a tiny bit. Um, I think Travolta was basically in one costume, although he did have to Except change into the Santa Cruz the awesome outfit. The Santa yes, Cruz, yes, yes, I love oh, that. Man. I've I've honestly ever since I saw the movie, and because I do live in the Santa Cruz area, anytime I see a UCSC shirt, 
I think to myself, I should buy one of those, and then I'll look like John Travolta. <laughs> you should. I mean, the ones they and make now are goal. probably not as cool, but they, yeah, you I can don't find think they a are. good one, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say Travolta's looking pretty fly in this movie. Although, are you a fan of this long hair situation? Like, he has like a waterfall of hair that's just a straight, straight hair. Is it an? Is it a wig? I don't work. St- like, I don't know anything. It's too about hard to say. That. Yeah, I have no idea. I mean, I know he's wearing wigs now, but he's got to be. But um. It's kind of Michael esque, but yeah, less so feathery. True. And I it was would around argue, the, the time of Michael. It's around the same time, yeah. I would argue that it works, and I fully embrace it. Well, I think he's very slick for this part. He like, looks I think so he, cool. Yeah, and then Cage is wow. You know, yeah, <laughs> Nicholas Cage is like purposely a derp, and he what does he wear? He wears oh my gosh. The, the sort of purple-brown collared shirt with that's, like, baggy and open at the cuffs, right? Yeah. Like, he's picking up his to-go food, and he his cuffs are open. And I was like, what, is that a thing that, that it, or, you I, know, or did, yeah. what's he wearing his jacket on set, and then he left, and then he's like, but I'm also, I don't want my cuffs buttoned. And so instead of like rolling <laughs> so I'm just them gonna up, leave he, them. he just gonna leave them open like he's like it's... this flamboyant conductor or something. I don't know. It does not make yeah. any sense. Uh, he looked awful. in the real world, but he it really works to to just exemplify dishevelment. Um, he really does. He did he did the work, so I'm gonna give him that. Um, in contrast, like when you look at, I mean, his adaptation still, like the adaptation stills versus like his current profile picture on IMDb, he, I mean, he looks fantastic in that profile picture. So it is a testament to like the work that he did to look like crap. Like he, I will not objectify him even because he, do, do you see his profile picture though? He looks so cute. I think he looks so cute. He's got little dimples. <laughs> is this that. weird? Am That's I developing cute. a crush on Nicolas Cage? Uh, I think I it's am. Possible. It's possible. I think it's happening. Oh my gosh. Um, Here's the thing, yeah. though. We could also talk about Charlie. Because that I know. is also... I was actually going to bring that Nicolas up. Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. And Charlie is also a little bit of a derp. He's, he's but he dates a dad dresser, But, like, he... Oh, yeah, he sure does. And, I mean, his confidence is very attractive. So he's just, like, wearing T-shirts, essentially. But I feel like that's the person that I would date of these three characters. (laughs) I, oh, my gosh. I mean, you can have Bruce Willis if you want. I know, but that's, that's like, also Nicolas Cage. You know... I think that I would still go on a date to Jackrabbit Slims with um, with uh, John Travolta, but he, maybe yeah, I would consider really going point. out on a date with Donald Kaufman in another another scenario because um, he is he seems like a sweet dude. Yeah, like definitely more sweet than Vince Travolta's is a character. little much for me in like any scenario. Unless it mm-hmm. was just for the was a lot. novelty of going to Jackrabbit Slims, but um, which oh, yeah. which features Doing the twist. cars. You you dine in a convertible that's inside mm-hmm. a thing, and it seemed like a cool place. 
Oh, anyway, we can talk about this forever. But I think we need to make a decision. Who do you think won the face-off? This for, is a for really you, hard one. who won one. the face-off? I know. This, do you know which one won for you? Oh, uh, kind of. I'm going to go ahead and say, for me, it was still Travolta with Pulp Fiction. Um, and the reason is... I was really trying not to approach it from, like, historically, this was a more successful film or blah, blah, blah. But I do, I just love the message that is communicated in Pulp Fiction. And I think that Travolta was very instrumental, even though he was not necessarily the primary, the most important. Well, he he is one of the most important characters in the story, and a lot hinges on his choices, um, but I think it, he's really great in it. I think everything about that movie is really delightful. So I'm going to give it to, I'm going to give it to Pulp Fiction. You know, I am too. And I think it's really, I think it's a very hard choice. I think that obviously like Nick Cage did two characters in this other one. It was, and, the, and very, very well acted. The movie was, you know, very unique and, and very much itself. But I mean, I just thought Pulp Fiction was very... I thought it was a funny movie and that like this landing of like action and humor and philosophy and all of, like and and pop culture reference. I don't know. I think it was somehow pure in in a way, like a pure movie than uh adaptation which is very meta and very like aware of itself for which is so Charlie very, too right no I mean it's and, yeah and, and to you know which is to its point but I kind of felt like Pulp Fiction I don't know I think it just like landed as a movie better <laughs> instead of like adaptation which was like a thought exercise or something I don't yeah. know and I mean if you were to think about like in terms of being iconic, like, which character... I mean, there's no comparison, right? Like, yeah. nobody dresses up for Halloween like <laughs> Donald Kaufman or Charlie Kaufman. Like, the the character that, that John Travolta became and portrayed in that film is powerful. And along with Samuel L. Jackson. All of them are. I mean, if anybody dressed up as one of those characters, I feel like you'd still be able to say, like, oh, that's a character from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Because it just had a huge... It had a huge impact on our culture, and it's great. So, yeah, it won, hands down. (sighs) Okay, Jess, are there any peaches in your life? I'm getting so excited to get to face off just so you can understand peaches um but yeah are there any peaches in your life right now (laughs) uh a peach in my life is the los angeles public library (laughs) um (laughs) that doesn't surprise me yeah i mean we are both huge library fans i think there's something one thing the library provides that we we will sort of not ever able to be able to like replicate with the internet because the internet's so smart is this act of like exploration and and spontaneous discovery um i mean there there's a sort of sense of doing that but even when you do that online you're still only seeing a graphic right yeah um i think there's something really special about like being in the stacks and being like thumbing through different things and like looking at covers um of books or dvds or or cds or whatever 
and and being like, oh, I've never heard of this before, or I want to check this out. Like I, not literally, but like you know, I want to I want to discover this. And there's some and and I think the joy that comes from dealing with the physical media is for me just much different than being like, oh, it this is in my Discover Weekly algorithm in in Spotify and I'll just click mm-hmm. a button and you know obviously you could find great stuff but there's something really interesting about actively picking up a piece it, you know picking up something physical and like making this choice this is almost this like ritual where you go to the counter and you check it out and then it's yours for three weeks or whatever yeah so I just I'm I've been constantly delighted by things I found there Recently, I checked out Rudy, um, which I think I had seen before, but I was like, yeah, but I was like, I haven't really seen this as an adult, and I Mm -hmm. uh, watched that this morning and felt every single emotion. I was definitely ugly crying. Did you cry? Oh, yeah. No, it was, Ah! he sacked the quarterback (laughs) in his eight seconds on the field, and he worked so hard. Um, and the I, the soundtrack so is like to, like specifically calculated to make you cry to make you and cry make and you... and shed tears. Yeah, I think I'm gonna put I want to put Rudy music like on my gym mix. All right, what are your peaches? What have you been digging? Oh, I feel like I said this last recording, so there's that. I feel like I said Great British Bake Off. Did I say it? Do you remember? I don't think you did say it. Oh, I hope I did it. Because uh, then I'd feel like, well, because I think if if I did at that time, I was watching the newer seasons. And I I enjoyed, I've, I watched one of them and it was fine. Um, I'm still kind of warming up to the new hosts. But I, when I finished that season, I already told you this, but I'm telling the fans. Um, it went back to season four and started an older season, basically. And... I just kept watching it because I was so delighted that I hadn't seen it. And it, it has the old host. It has Mary Berry. And I'm currently rooting for Andrew, who's this lanky, redheaded engineer who's he very looks like talented. A yeah, he looks like, like it's... a Weasley 100%. <laughs> and I've just really been delighted by it. I... I wish that I could spend, for, for a variety of reasons I'm not going to uh, expound upon, I cannot currently bake a lot or anything. And so I, I, I think I kind of miss something about it. And it's really fun to watch other people do it. Even though yeah. I don't know if I would I would be motivated to like bake a tart because I've never even made one. But um, I just I just think that baking val said it best val um is one of the the people that is on this season that i'm watching of the great british bake-off and she said something very profound she said that anytime i bake i bake love like i bake love into this or into what i make like it is baked with love and i think that there is something to be said about baking and cooking for people and like meeting the need of hunger and i think that it's wonderful that the great british bake-off is this show that is about people supporting each other and loving each other there's a level of criticism from paul hollywood always um or their judges but they are judged but 
they're also they also love each other well and they're all motivated to like create something innovative that they can share with people it's a great show and it's you know as a reality show it's one of the nicest they're just very kind when they vote people off and even paul hollywood is very tepid in his in his <laughs> criticism so thank you for listening to this episode of the face off podcast you can follow us on instagram at face off pod or email us suggestions um or just encouragement or yeah just lightly constructive criticism at face off pod at gmail.com we hate to see you go but we love to watch you leave bye Bye. have we talked about is is we love to watch it is that from face off what we hate to see you go but we love to watch you leave it is from face off (laughs) you'll see just wait